Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Catholic Stuff You Should Know here with Nathan Goble. And uh, I just took my second to last final, so... Uh, welcome back, and you're how many more finals left? One. One final left. That's what it means by second to last. <laughs> Thanks for Ooh, listening. It's getting late. <laughs> Actually, and, uh, that's not true. I did I did one on uh, DA Stomany before then, but uh, we're back. We're coming to you live, hot and fresh. <laughs> Popeyes, Popeyes chicken. This is uh, Father John and uh, oh yeah, Nathan Goble. He's Father John. I'm Father John, as you know from the last podcast. The meaning and significance of that. And uh, today we're gonna take a radical shift, though. Nathan Nathan's gonna curse us out for the next twenty minutes. Something I'm having like a bad day. <laughs> My mydol's not kicking in for the next twenty minutes, so you're gonna hear about it. Easy, easy. Now, uh, yeah, we have to do kind of a toxic rinse before Nathan uh, begins these podcasts. Can I get everything out that we don't want him to say? <laughs> That's right uh, on the podcast, and then, uh, but we should be good to go. I think we got everything. There's a word bank that I'm not allowed to have access to. <laughs> we changed the password. Um, well, Nathan, here we go. Okay, so um, if you listen to our podcast about. Um, Gosh, that was a long time ago on Psalms ah. and uh, how to pray the Psalms. Um, hopefully by then you've you've had some time to sit that, with the Word of God. Was that the one I fell asleep during? Go on. <laughs> See good. See how repentant he is. I am. Uh, um, and uh, so th- this has been the fruit of uh, Dr. Barstead and uh, his great class on Psalms and Wisdom. Hopefully he's listening to these or maybe it'd be better if he didn't. Because then he can grade my I essays. If, yeah, I drop your grade a little bit. Yeah, right. So, Dr. Barstead is the uh, Psalms and Wisdom professor at the seminary. He did a great job from what the guys say. And oh. uh, as you know from this podcast, everything is stolen. That's from right. Somewhere. That's right. 90% from Wikipedia, but every <laughs> once in a while from someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Whispers like, in the logia. Dr. Joel Barstead. That's right. So I really don't have time to do additional research, so I just kind of <laughs> regurgitate and mama, bur- mama bird it out <laughs> oh, to you. Geez. So, uh... You know, enjoy. Um, but this was this was a fantastic question that he had on our final. Um, uh, and uh, Joe Doman, fellow podcaster, fellow podcaster, he, he sparked my interest in it in a in a deeper way. And so I'm making sure that he gets a little copyright uh, info so that you know it doesn't sound like it's all the brilliance of You've me. You've given Joe Doman a shout out. No, I feel really bad. <laughs> so uh, make sure you return the favor at some point, Joe. Um, so we want to talk about the cursing psalms. Yes. Joe made a fantastic point today where he said, so many times people who want to get Catholics back on their heels will bring up things from the scriptures and say, well, this is in, this is in the Bible. What do you do with this? And if we sort of hide away all of the, as you said, toxic um, verses in the scriptures— and never actually engage them, then what are people going to do when they're at, you know, their dinner parties or something and somebody's saying, I'm not Christian or right. I'm not Catholic because... Blah, blah. Because of la, la, la. You know, right. call no priest father as you listen to the last one. And you guys do that and therefore, you know. So right. we're trying to do everything we can to give you uh, excellent quips. Uh, quips! F- for your, uh, you know... Tea parties, for your, for your or something. dinner parties. Now, uh, how many cursing psalms are there? Like, are we talking about a lot here? Or, oh, he's going to the computer. Let me look at Wikipedia. <laughs> um, okay, so it has a list of them here, um, and I think I think these are some of the more famous ones. Oh, I have them written down. 
Psalm 7, 35, 55, 58, 59, 69, 79, 109, 137, 139. So that is 10. I mean, that's just 10. 150 psalms, so that is what? That's like uh, 15%. 15%. No, that would be 15. No, that would be 10%. Wait, no, that's not... You don't know how to do math. That's not 10%. 7%. Something like that, yeah. Dang it, I should have these numbers ready. 10, out, a, of, 10 out of 150. Another reminder that we never edit these podcasts. They are That's just, right. We just look like complete idiots. We're giving the you the steak tartare of uh, of podcasts. It's, it looks like raw meat. By the way, your hair's looking nice. Is that Mignon's work? No, Speaking poor Mignon. Steak tartare. I haven't come to see her in a while. $16 a pop. I don't, I don't have time for it. That's okay, expensive. so, okay, whatever number, that's that's a significant portion of the Psalms. And so I want to read to you some of these lines. That is significant. I mean, that's somewhere between 5 and 30%. Agreed. <laughs> How do you do that? Okay, so uh, um, okay, so here are some of the lines. Uh, Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave. O oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. Psalm 58. May some about they, smashing babies, is that one of them? We're going to get into that. Okay. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. And most famously, Psalm 137, 9. How blessed will be the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Okay. Um, Yikes. How do we actually pray these psalms in light of what Christ called us to in the Gospels, which was we should uh, pray for our persecutors and our enemies and forgive them? Um and I mean, so the first question: Should we pray these right. psalms? So that that was the question in our final was: Should as as pastors, teachers, and catechists, should we in fact uh, sort of bury these psalms away and uh, not allow the Christian faithful, as Christian faithful, to have access to them? And I think the most important thing with that is this is the Word of God, and we have allowed this scripture to be canonized by the church, and the Jews still venerate, as we do, the Psalms as the expression of the interior soul of the of the faithful and of I mean and of Christians. Christ knew the Psalms; he prayed the Psalms. So he, his mom Mary didn't go into the Torah and cut out the parts that she didn't want him to pray. Right. Um, so we certainly can't be afraid of it. Second Timothy three sixteen. I hope that's right. Uh, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for instruction, teaching, and refutation. So some way, this yeah, is useful. What do we do with this? Um, so um, we hear these words, which are extremely volatile, toxic, um, violent. How do we, as Christians, encounter them? And in light of Christ, pray them in such a way that is beneficial for our own souls and for the salvation of the world. I wonder what Joe Doman would do. WWJDD, <laughs> what would Joe Doman do do? I'm going to get a bracelet. I'll take one. Um, t-shirts for the podcast. Uh, so... Um, and this is this is an open this discussion. This is a very interesting. This is an open discussion. I have I have no there I I mean I couldn't find a magisterial document partly because I didn't check um <laughs> to uh to find that but um 
the most this is the first lecture and we talked about this in the Psalms podcast a while ago but Dr. Barstead told us that one of the reasons why we pray the Psalms and every psalm is so that we can expand our eye so that our person our imagination is filled with the realities in a way similar to our own so there are going to be times where we're feeling great and a psalm of praise is going to be right dead on the money. There's going to be a time in which we are suffering, uh, maybe have gotten bad news, and we're being persecuted by um, principalities and powers of this world and of the spiritual realm where we're not doing so good, and the psalm of praise isn't going to fill us with right. the same sort of consolation. So uh, in the same way, the cursing psalms, there may be times in which, like I said, we're just having a really bad day, and uh, the coffee's not ready, someone hasn't, you know, done what you asked them to do, maybe I didn't ask, <laughs> maybe I didn't do what I was asked to do, um, you know, I'm I'm in that mode of, these people are my enemies, and so I cry out to God to bring them to justice. Now, many times in the Psalms, the psalmist is saying, "I am without blame, and uh, and uh, and they're not." So uh, judge between the two of us. That's an interesting thing because I actually a lot of times when I'm counseling people, and this is going to sound strange, but sometimes they'll articulate things, and I'll be like, "I think you need to recognize that that person is your enemy, and that's okay to name that, mm-hmm. but then you can't stop there." Like right. you need to like, cause we just get this kind of like, you know, schmaltzy rainbow, everything's perfect and we love everyone all the time. And it's like, no, we all have enemies. We hate people. We got to start there. We got to deal with that. Some of us have more anger problems than others. And, and there are people and powers. I mean, I mean, I mean that in the spiritual sense, powers who hate Christians and even apart from our Christian identity, there are people that simply don't like us. Yeah, and we can't just we can't just be the Christian who says, "You know what? I'm going to make sure that everyone likes me." Right. I mean, you read you read Christ, and here's the here's the other you know awkward thing is Christ in in the gospel. You know, the good news says, "Woe to you, Pharisees! You are like whitewashed tombs." Outside you appear clean, but inside you are full of dead men's bones. He didn't exactly, you know, start singing Shangri-La or, or whatever to them. Right. Love, love, love by the Beatles or something. Um, all you need is love, Nathan. All you need is love. That's true. And so, um, gosh, uh, I hear I hear these words and the immediate uh, uncomfortability with these words is, um, well, we really shouldn't say them. And it's bad that they said them. I mean, the Jews had some pretty crazy things happen to them. Now, granted, they doled out when they got power, um, as as Christians did. I mean, I'm not, I'm not being, you know, He's not hating racista. Um, but when when the Christian people, when the Jewish people got their power, they, in fulfillment of God's command, at least from the Jews, they put the nations around them to the sword. Um, and delivered the punishment. But then there came a time in which they were not in God's favor, um, and they had stopped the covenant practices, and God allowed them to be taken into exile where their um, families were separated, 
the um, the fathers were taken away into a distant land, um, or they were killed, or their sons were taken and sort of made, um, you know, Babylonians. Um, their their children were killed in front of them, um, and their women were violated. I mean, these are these are some dark times. Um, so I mean, we can't sort of explain it away and say, well, it's bad they felt those things. Right. Um, so here's my first question. Oh gosh, can I ask questions? Yeah. Oh, you said oh, I don't gosh. have any answers. You got answers. You just took a Psalms and Wisdom class. You have two and a half finals left, or whatever you said at the beginning. Is this, are the Psalms just man's experience of dealing with his life and grappling with faith? Or is, like, does Christ appropriate these cursing Psalms to himself? So that's my question. Is Mm -hmm. this just kind of the religious experience of pre-Christian man kind of grappling with realities that don't really affect us anymore in light of Christ? Or does some way, does Christ in some way appropriate this to himself? Does he pray the cursing Psalms? That's... There's my question. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's an easy one, so you should have just a, you know, for, forward answer, you know. Just joking. That's impossible. Yeah, I think uh, I think Christ is the hermit, hermeneutical key. He is the he is the illumination of all of the passages of scripture. Um when he gets plugged back into the scriptures, when he comes, he's like the cube, you know, in Transformers or something like that, <laughs> if I can use that analogy. Um, Christ is like the But he cube. animates, I mean, he's the exegesis of the Father. Right. And so he um, draws out from the divine life in a way uh, concrete and yet mysterious, um, in a way uh, participating in the, f- the, f- the form of humanity. So he... Uh, you know, he was able to feel, um, but, you know, these are all Christological, you know, questions, because, you know, our uh, resident Thomas, Keith Kenny, who will be happy he's getting another shout-out, will slap my hand if I, you know, say that Christ was a human being who had emotions. He is a divine person who assumed humanity, and his emotions were dictated by him, as opposed to us, where our emotions dictate to us. Mm. I don't understand that. That's just what I know to say, so my hand doesn't get slapped. But these are dogmatic statements, I hope, at least, you know, I hope I didn't get that wrong, um, where how do we explain Christ feeling um, emotion or, you know, allowing these things to impress upon him in such a way that he can speak and pray these words written by the psalmist inspired by the spirit um in his own time and then for the christian who's called to be another christ how does he pray uh and place himself in this position um when he's living in sort of um utopia you know america where um a lot of the problems that were part and parcel of the difficult life I mean, there was no locks on the tent door. Um, but even still, the more the more trinkets that we have, the harder it is to protect all the things that we have. It's, I hope I'm making no sense. So that no, no, no. This I'm... is this is tricky. This is a very tricky topic. Now she's tricky, tricky, tricky. <laughs> she's tricky. Hey, man, we got to pray for that guy. He just passed away. 
The Beastie right. Boys. That's right. I forgot about guy. that. Yeah. Um, okay, second question. Nathan Goal. Gosh. I know. Come on, man. Could we assert that Christ is praying the cursing psalms about the spiritual realm, so the demons, the powers, the principalities that are trying to destroy? And as a Christian, can I pray that? about those guys so to speak like when christ says pray for my enemies he's talking about the human realm but i can't pray for demons who are trying to destroy me and try to destroy everyone i love Mm -hmm. right yeah and i think i think in a homily by augustine when he's talking about this psalm 137 he's saying that um the full-grown sins in our life are like you know men they're vices They've taken a hold of us and they've bound us. But at the beginning, they don't simply start as, you know, major vices. They start as these things called peccadillos, little sins. Um, So he makes the analogy that these are like infants and that if we're not willing with our very, you know, seemingly innocent faults um, to dash them against the rock who is Christ, then at some point... They will grow up to become the strong man who will bind us and um, and take us where we don't want to go. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, he said it a lot better than I could. But so the sin, deal with that. I'm trying to. So basically, the cursing psalms, the fundamental thing we're cursing is sin. As Christians, yeah, uh, and I, you know. Jason Wunsch, another guy in our seminary who uh, who I live with, he made the excellent point that in these psalms, they're not cursing specific people. They're not saying like, you know... They're just cursing. John Thompson, <laughs> dang you! Um, it, it's, it, there, there's a, there's a, a desire for the psalmist that that person who has inflicted evil upon them would be brought to justice. That he would get what he rightly deserves. Um, but it's not like, I hope he gets get, gets what he deserves so that, you know, I can be happy. It's, um, it's medicinal. It's the hope that, and this is what the Jews should have been hoping for. This is really what the Christians should be hoping for as well, that uh, when we are, um, you know, lamenting over the, you know, commonly called scourge of abortion or of pornography, or of, you know, racism, uh, poverty, I don't know. When, when all these things, when we want to, you know, uh, cry out against these things, we really want to see those um, activities stopped. But the people by which uh, those activities are being effective, or are being affected, we should really be praying uh, concomitant with that, uh, praying for their conversion and praying that they would come to a deeper understanding that this is inflicting harm upon them, upon their families, upon their nation, because sin is never a private event. Um, So if we are spiritualizing this and saying that it is sin, then we're crying out because this affliction isn't just affecting one individual person or one, you know, two people's relationship. One sin wounds the entire body. Hmm. So, um, but but the other problem with that is if we just impersonalize this through, um, you know, saying, well, it's sin. I'm crying out against sin. What do I do 
with, you know, Tommy, who is, uh, who's my boss and who I don't like and he doesn't like me and, you know, we're getting into skirmishes and everything. And in a way, he is my enemy. What do I do with that? Because I want to cry out to God for justice and I want to cry out against this evil that's being afflicted upon me. But how do I not just make it, you know, curse you, Tommy? Yeah. That's interesting because I think, I think, and I think that's important because we don't want to just spiritualize it away, you know? But I think if I'm hearing you right in what you're saying is that there is a dimension to the human spirit when it engages evil and suffering. So by the very nature of the world that we live in, that cursing is, is an authentic dimension of the human spirit to curse these things that are happening to me. And that's not to say they're justified, but we live in this broken, kind of crazy, messed up world where Tommy or Bob Nandarsky or whoever your boss is, is saying these different things, right? Yeah. Or whoever your boss is. And uh, it's, uh, um, it's just going to be one of those things like that happens and comes to be. And so for Christ to assume humanity, you know, this is Pache, Keith Kenny, that he, he, to bracket these different dimensions of the human spirit would be to not authentically take on humanity. And it's the same for the Christian. To just kind of bracket these dimensions would be to say, yeah, you know what? It's all just kind of cotton candy and uh, lucky charms once you're a Christian. Everything is just fabulous. No, there are days when you want to curse. And actually, in the act, and this is what's weird, and I can't believe I'm saying this as a priest, but the days that sometimes the, the way to intimacy with God in my prayer is by cursing. And that sounds so weird, hmm. but if I was to deny that, I think it would actually not, uh, it would actually be a hindrance, a block to me because I get so frustrated by the state of things, by the way that I'm treated, by the miscommunications, by the failures of others, by the failures of myself, that I want to express this, the human spirit, my spirit in this way. I don't stay there and I have to repent from it a lot of times, like you said, even the psalmist, but to not embrace that dimension of the human spirit is to deny something in my humanity. Yeah, do you do you remember the story of Adrian von Speyer and Balthazar, you know, asking her because she was so frustrated with God because of the death of her husband, I think, right. um, that he prescribed to her to pray the cursing psalms. And I don't know where this is in the in the corpus, uh, but um, we talked about this in class that that she said it was as if a cataract had been lifted from my vision and the full light of God was able to illuminate. It's beautiful. Um, because there's something blocking um, in our relationship with each other and with God that we need, we have to engage our humanity and even our deeply felt emotions. You know, a parent who cries out against God when they're, a uh, child is undergoing, you know, cancer, or maybe he's getting picked on at school. Um, they they just want to cry out because it actually afflicts them more than it does the child in many ways. Because they so uh, they so want that child to receive the good things of this world, but it seems like they're getting the shaft. Yeah. Um. So how? How do we do that well? And um, and that's where I think we have to be very careful and uh, remember that um, over 140 of the Psalms 
are filled with imagery of blessing God, of uh, praising him for the goodness of his creation, for delighting in the goodness of community and of right worship. Um, But there are times in which we are feeling uh, a little down. Uh, But I think apart from Christ, this doesn't make sense, obviously. But I think it's in Isaiah where he's saying, the curses that the curses that they uttered fell upon me, him, yeah. upon him, and or I guess that's Saint Paul. I don't know. In the Bible, <laughs> that's where I, I should just be a a good uh, scripture scholar and say somewhere in scripture it says. Um, so our our curses, our frustrations, our rage was in a way poured out in the cup of wrath to Christ who drank it to the dregs and consummated it upon the cross. And yet God did not leave him forever dangling upon the hooks of our just bitterness and rage, but rather um, he, he died. But if you don't embrace those moments when you, you just want to curse when you want to just be absolutely whatever filled with rage, with anger. If you never get to that place, if you never embrace that place, then you're never going to move beyond that to the realization that this is part of Christ's definitive sacrifice. Right. And that's the key. You deny it you pretend like everything's fine. Everything's great. Uh, and you're actually not entering in a deeper way into the reality of what he embraced, which is he assimilated and took on all of this himself. And I think that's the key. We have to acknowledge it. We have to embrace it. We have to be authentic in it. But then we have to move into the reality of Christ and that he transformed this. So it's not okay to check out before that, but it's not okay to stay in that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have to go through the reality of Good Friday and allow Christ to do what he came to do and to be, which was um, our salvation. And he, I mean, he affected that in a wondrous way, but in a way I never would have chosen. Um, And the last words um, from his cross, some of which were, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Um, But he even, he allows them to speak their venom upon him, even reviling him when he's in the most precarious and uh, uh, suffering positions, you know, crucified and nailed, but he allows them to say what they want to say and then still asks for forgiveness. Um, Yeah. One final comment for our Thomistic friends. Wah, wah. Cursing. To wish hatred upon another. Right? Or to wish evil upon another. Mm -hmm. That would be the passion that Thomas would call it would be hatred. Right? People confess hatred often, and I say, hatred is to wish evil upon another. So it's pretty intense. But Thomas also says that the passions are morally neutral in themselves. Isn't that interesting? And hatred is one of the passions. And so... Uh, in a sense, it's hmm. all about the way that it's embraced, the way that it's dealt with, and then what's done with it. But the thing itself, anger itself, is not evil, right? And it's interesting to think about that, that the nature of our our passionate and emotional nature 
is given this way, and it's a morally neutral act, but it all depends on how we do with that. But we have to engage our emotional life and our affect and the way that they're driving us because we're not like Christ in the sense that we dictate how the emotions, but I don't. Right. I still don't know about that with Keith Kenny. We have to talk about that. That'll be another podcast. So, oh, gosh, this is a very interesting uh, topic, and uh, yeah. So you, you look exhausted. I don't know. I don't know what your application for this is. Um, you know, read a psalm. Read one of those numbers that we said before: fifty-eight, fifty-nine, sixty-nine, seventy-nine. Read one of those and send us an email. I don't know. We're going to close with Nathan cursing somebody. Go ahead and choose when you want. Oh, just joking. The, uh, how, about a po- how about an email instead? Uh, the, the, the last thing I would say as this podcast grows longer and longer and you're more and more tired, um, this priest that I knew, whenever he would drive past an adult bookstore, he would say, may you lie fallow to do evil. And so, in a way, he's saying... Um, May you be unable to affect the evil that you desire to inflict upon my children. I mean, because it's it's within his, um, you know, boundaries, his parish boundaries mm-hmm. and everything. Um, I don't know how I feel about that, so I just say Hail Mary. Um, so she's going to crush the head of Satan uh, one way or the other. So I just let her do the dirty work. So Very nice. There you go. Okay. That's it. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.